right. It is uh, Friday Eve or Thursday, I guess, better known as that. And then we are back with another episode of Learning Tech Talks, where we are exploring the landscape of learning tech, cutting through the fluff and getting your questions answered. Today, I am joined by Taylor Stockton from Future Fit AI, and we're talking about career transitions and a what could be considered not so fun topic of layoffs. But I think actually by the time we get done with this, it's going to give you a little bit of hope and it may not have to be quite so terrible or, or not as awful as you may be thinking. So uh, if you haven't been through a layoff before, you may not know that they aren't always fun, but you can probably imagine they're not. And so we're going to talk about how we can make that better, but it's not just about layoffs. But before we get into that conversation and dig into what they're doing there and, and really the state of things, let's let's get things started on a lighter note. And we're going to start with where you are in the world today. Everybody who's watching, tuning in from the live end, feel free to comment in. I'm always curious where people are joining from. But Taylor, why don't you start us off with where are you in the world today? Yeah, and Christopher, thanks for having me on. Excited to have the conversation. Uh, I am joining from New York, uh, which has been an interesting place to be the last few months and, and not the best, best really? month in New York. Something, something best month in New York history. Uh, but but I, w but I will say that the energy is really picking up and vaccinations are picking up. And so um, I think everyone here is excited about the next few months. And so we are we are optimistic. OK, well, and obviously things are starting to look up a little bit because you're in a we work. And when we were talking about this, there's people there. Things are starting to come back a little bit. So good to hear. Um, I'm in Waukesha, Wisconsin, where I always am. It's it's cold here still. It is cold. We're still in the third. It was 17 degrees when I woke up this morning, and that's not Celsius. So uh, yeah, it's supposed to be nice this weekend though. But all right, let's switch to this one on the icebreaker side. All right, we've talked about where we are, but now we're going to go in a very different direction. We actually had to pivot on this icebreaker question. So I actually got a little bit thrown off because I was normally I have the upper hand because I get to come into this with a little bit of prep. Then we had to pivot because Taylor wasn't ready for what I had planned originally. So I switched. <laughs> we just pivoted, right? Career transition, icebreaker transition. That's what we did. So Taylor, you get to go first on this one and everybody else you can comment in. But Taylor Stockton, if you're a wrestler, what would your entrance theme song be? <laughs> yeah, the uh, and I, I will I will preface this by saying that I I do not think I would be a good wrestler, um, and I don't know if I if if by my presence or by my song if there would be any intimidation going on, um, <laughs> but but perhaps a a song that uh, is is a big one for me in in life in general is uh, Young Forever by Jay Z uh, is is one that is is good for me. Um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the whole thinking around, you know, as you get older, your, you know, your curiosity, your open-mindedness, your energy, uh, tends to slip sometimes. And so that's, that's kind of an overall mindset that I like to have again, in a wrestling specific context, I have no idea if that would help me or hurt me, but I think that's the song that I would want to hit. Okay. I, I was going to say, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I like the thinking behind the song in terms of in general. I, I, I'm just picturing you now as you're about to go out and the smoke and the, the sparks are flying and, and that's what's running through your head. Like you said, I don't know if it had the intimidation tactics. 
you know, may, may, maybe it'd be a bit bait and switch though, though. You know, it's I, I come true. out, I'm not that intimidating, and then actually, that's right. They're like, uh, you know, uh, yeah, who is this? And then all of a sudden, bam, you got him on the ropes. Okay, right. I, so I like where you're going with this. Maybe that's that, that's my side, but you know, would would love to uh, you know throw it back to you to see what your answer. Is. Yeah, you know, so <laughs> I <laughs> I did not have the adequate time to think and prepare for this one that I would have liked. But I will say, then I thought about it a little bit, and the song that I think I would want to walk out to is probably Finish Line by Skillet. And the reason okay. for it is I can, he he has this very guttural scream that he does in the beginning. And I'm like, I could see, I can see getting amped up and fired up to that. Although the song I used to have in the intro for learning tech talks, it would have been a pretty good wrestling intro theme. I don't know that the current one would really like yours i don't know that it would have the effect that you'd be looking for in a wrestling theme but anyway that that that's where i would I, that's where i would fall yeah. okay so well, we'll, let's oh go for it no i was, I was gonna say so we'll, we'll see if we ever end up having to use them at any point uh but it, <laughs> until until then we'll just keep them in our back pockets there we go well and andy and he's he's got london calling and and brian's got calm like a bomb so i think we might have some suggestions that actually might be better than the ones we picked, but I guess that's what we <laughs> yeah. get for, for picking an icebreaker so late in the game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, well, let's transition over. Let's transition over to what we're talking about. But before we get into the topic at hand, you know, what's what's your, I mean, how did you end up at Future Fit AI and, and what's your background? What ended up bringing you there? Yeah, I've, I've spent my entire career focused on the exact same set of questions. Um, which is, you know, how is the workforce evolving? How is technology, AI, automation fundamentally transforming the workforce? But then importantly for me, what are the implications of those changes on individuals as they, you know, try to achieve economic mobility, as they try to upskill, reskill, make their way through the labor market? Um, and so I, I focused on that question from a lot of different angles. Uh, started my career out working for Google, work, working on their global education strategy, uh, did management consulting for a couple of years, also focused on the same set of questions, uh, moved to South Africa for a few years, uh, really? was on the leadership team, yeah, which, which was an a interesting move in itself, um, on the leadership team of an ed tech startup in this space, uh, focusing on these same set of questions, how do you equip people with the skills to succeed in the 21st century economy? Um, and then the last few years have bounced back and forth between the operating and the investing side of the future of work landscape, uh, and so I've invested in a lot of, you know, early stage ed tech workforce companies as well. Um, and I think the the biggest thing that, you know, my realization was in, in looking at all of those different experiences was there was a lot of different learning happening, you know, in the yes. corporate training world, corporate learning world. Um, but it wasn't necessarily delivering the results that a lot of times the, the pitch decks and the elevator pitches uh, sometimes said it would, right, of, it, it was almost this idea of a, almost theater of learning. Uh, we're saying that we're gonna go in and fundamentally change people's skills, give them a new set of skills to succeed in a new role. But a lot of times what these corporate learning, LMS platforms, LXP platforms, you know, whatever the different acronyms are, uh, we're so really just- fired. In, <laughs> I'm, I'm not, you know, you'll notice I'm not saying specific company names here, the, uh, but is, is really, and, and they're, they're all good platforms, right? Like, but, yes. but the question is what, what do they achieve? Um, and so I think the, the overall mindset for me was all of these platforms are engaging individuals in learning content and fundamentally from a business case perspective are driving employee retention 
based on that engagement. But if we look at like the fundamental need to gain tremendously new skills, to make career transitions, to end up in a completely different place um, and ability to succeed in a new role, that was a gap in the market. And, and so I think that it was something that had been on my mind. Uh, I met Hamoon, who's Future Today I CEO, uh, a few years ago at a conference. And so we had been staying in touch. Uh, and it turns out that he was also thinking about very similar questions and, and fundamentally about not only how do we create new learning content, but how do we create a navigation layer to allow individuals to be able to navigate all the different learning opportunities, all the different resources that are out there to actually make those transitions. Um, and so he had started the company before I came on board, but just as he was going to market, uh, we, we had a conversation and in our minds were just in very similar places. And, okay. uh, and so could not be more thrilled to you know, be working with the team now and, and fundamentally solving what we believe is the greatest challenge of the future of work. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because it, it, I, I, you hear a lot of this talk right now about yeah. skills and learning. And, and I, I was talking to JD Dillon from Exonify the other day, and we were just talking about how sometimes it can feel like buzzword bingo totally. when, when you're in a conversation with this, where there's a lot of stuff being thrown around, but in terms of that, okay, but what is it really doing? What are we really totally. doing? And I think the risk sometimes can be, you go down that path, it's easy to kind of razz on some of these other efforts or things like this. And to me, you look at it and it's like, well, it's an ecosystem. And again, right. there's there's the buzzword bingo of, hey, there, there's a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot of components and all of those pieces need to fit together. That said, there is a significantly growing and a greater accountability on what is this really going to do? You know, how right. are we actually connecting this to things and that and that ties to a lot of stuff which gets us into the whole career transition piece but so when you bump into somebody i mean obviously you've been bouncing around the space you've done a lot of different things you made the decision to go over to future fit ai i have to imagine people ask the question so what is it that they do you've hit on things a little bit but what is that elevator pitch or speech that you explain to people well this is essentially what our technology does yeah, Future of AI is a GPS for your career, is, is the shortest answer to say it. It is a AI-powered tool that for the worker, for the individual, for the employee, that allows them to understand, where am I now from a skill set interest standpoint? What are the possible places that I could go within my company, within my labor market? And what is the personalized roadmap for me that's going to get me from point A to point B? That, that, that's, that's the shortest, I don't know how long the elevator trip is, but that's, that's, you know uh, what? that's a pretty reasonable elevator trip. I've had some where the elevator trip would have had to be Willy yeah. Wonka's glass elevator yeah. because by the time you're done, you're like, well, I don't know that you would have got through that in an elevator ride, but okay. So no, I, so let's break that down a little bit because when you talk about, when we talk about this stuff, we are talking about multifaceted pieces. And I think we talked yeah. a little bit before about the fact that it is bigger than just content. That's not it. That's a part of it. But there are these other pieces. So when you look at navigating your career or when AI or future fit AI looks at navigating your career, what are those facets that you've seen to be critical in helping people through those transitions? Yeah, no, it's, it's a really interesting question because I think it's one that we've learned a lot on ourselves, right? There was some initial hypotheses that we have, but as okay. we've supported more and more individuals, through career transitions in the labor market, I think we have learned ourselves just how wide and diverse that set of possible supports is. And, and so I'll, I'll focus on two different types of things. 
One is within the learning side. You mentioned kind of well, besides learning, but even within the learning side, I think there's been a really interesting spectrum of the types of learning experiences that are actually most helpful. And, and so sometimes we see transitions that involve almost no additional learning, right? It's, it's mostly just taking their existing skills and saying, where else might be, might I else okay. be, be able to succeed in the labor market? It's a lighter there, lift. Right. There, there are types of transitions where we are saying, okay, maybe someone has 70%, 80%, 90% of the required skills that they would need for the successful transition already. And so the type of learning experience or type of learning support that they need is an incremental course, an incremental skill. And then there's almost this other side of the spectrum, which is full scale reskilling, you know, completely new set of skills and, and job training program that is, is not going to just be, you know, one day or one week, but could be six weeks, six months, nine a short months. A little video that you can watch that nudges right, you. Right, right, right. Exactly. And so I think, I think there's a spectrum on the learning side specifically, but then maybe going more towards where your original question was, there's the non-learning pieces as well. And so to give you a sense there, it's, it's things like career readiness. So thinking about personal branding and mock interviewing and resume reviews um, and other types of things that can just help individuals think about career readiness. Um, we help think about financial planning. We help think about health and wellness. So th those are some of the different categories that have nothing to do with learning per se. But when you look at the results, and we're obviously a very data-driven, AI-driven company, uh, ho hopefully, if, if that's in our name. Um, yeah, all the I different would hope data so, because we <laughs> literally have it in the title of the company. <laughs> yes, exactly. The, um, but so, so many different small and, and nuanced data points that we're collecting in the process. And what you see over time is that looking at those non-learning elements, whether internal transitions or external transitions, really do actually drive, help drive outcomes. Um, and so it really is thinking for any given individual, what are the different puzzle pieces that they need for their personalized roadmap, not just in general of what does it look like for you know, an IT support specialist to become a software developer, but for Christopher specifically, who's making that jump, what are all the components of his life, his career that, that he would need to be most successful? Well, and what's interesting about this, this is something that I think we're going to see as an industry trend is the fact that, you know, what you talked about there, there is a learning component to it, but it is so right. heavily impacted by these other things. We not, we have to do this in the technology space, but I think we also have to do this just as an industry is this is again, just another one of those reasons we need to think bigger than just learning. We have to. We have to. It doesn't mean we have to be a subject matter expert on everything else, but we have to be able to step and see the forest through the trees to be able to say, hey, is learning a component of these career transitions? But to your point, when you think about a career transition, I'm trying to think some research that I had read on this, but it's one of the most, it can be one of the most traumatic things people go through in their professional career, whether it's a layoff or just a complete fundamental change in there to your point of there's a lot of emotional, psychological things that you have to deal with with someone. So I'm curious with the data and things like that, you said you've been learning along the way. Were there any things that have come up that you just went, we didn't see that one coming or wow, that has a greater impact than we could have ever anticipated. Yeah. I mean, that this is a, this is a rabbit hole within itself that we, that we should go down, but it's, That's I mean, there's, there's I so, won't let you go too far. No, Don't no, worry. I'll I, I, yeah, hold, hold me back out. But I mean, there, there, there's so much there is, is the short answer. Um, I think we had certainly when we started supporting individuals through layoffs and, and kind of went after that as, as a pain point in the market and opportunity in the market, we had a sense of this is a broken process. 
um, you know, from a, from a business case standpoint, but also just from a deeply human standpoint. Um, and I think one of the biggest ways that we've learned and grown is, is just understanding how deeply emotional and personal and, and jarring some of these career transitions that layoffs and layoffs specifically can be. I mean, in our work, all of us, and including the leadership team, are in conversations uh, with individuals who are being laid off, just, just to make sure we're continuing to stay close to the experiences that we're supporting. And I mean, the, the types of words that you hear the most often are ashamed, confused, lost. Like it's, it's a deeply, deeply human and, and humanly damaging experience. The way that it's done right now, right, by, by a lot of traditional outplacement firms and, and just the way that it's done, been done forever. Um, I would also point to the fact that that's the experience that you might expect for the, the individual that's being let go. I would also point to the teams the, the managers that, that have to go through that. The, um, th there's this idea in the HR world that's taking up traction a little bit of the concept of survivor syndrome, of when there is these mass layoffs, even the individuals that are still at the company are, are jarred within themselves because the sense of stability, the sense of uh, loyalty, support, do I have the support of my company? Am I also gonna be thrown out at some point? Is it just a matter uh, of time before, it, before I get caught in the next wave? Totally, totally. And, and I mean, uh, and just one other just anecdote. I mean, I was talking to someone, um, we, we are supporting a number of uh, companies right now, and talking to a manager at a Fortune 50 company that we're working with, uh, who's going to have to potentially think about laying off a, a portion of the employees that he directly manages. Um, and, and to see the pain in which he spoke about that, of, of the horror of what that would be like. If he said, you know, there, there are single parents who, who are on my team of let, laying them off, you know, still in a pandemic. I mean, the, the, the concept of that is, is just deeply, deeply wrong, right? And that doesn't mean that layoffs don't, like, can't happen, right? They I have think, to happen. It's, it's not, a reality. Not, it's a harsh reality of business, but it's not easy to your point. Totally. And so, and so I think like the evolution that we've seen a little bit, especially during the pandemic, when, which I think the, the emotion level is even, even more elevated, you know, you saw a lot of big companies come out and say, uh, no layoffs pledge. We're, we're not going to do layoffs throughout the entire pandemic. This is when we thought the pandemic was going to be yeah, a month it was or two. Yeah, it was a few weeks or maybe <laughs> right, a month or right, two. Right, right, right. They said, hey, dude, well, we'll just do a pledge. What's, what's the worst that could happen? Um, and I think that the challenge is now is that a lot of those companies that have said that have realized six months, nine months, one year in, that that is not realistic, right? All the digital transformation, all the automation that's happening, all the different restructuring that has to happen for the business, not doing layoffs is not realistic, but how can we do it in a fundamentally different way in which everyone is supported with a personalized data-driven uh, kind of experience that allows them to have a really soft landing, whether that's external to the company or internal to the company. Um, and, and so it's almost just rethinking it, reimagining it of, of how could we do it better? Um, but it's, yeah, Again, I think I'm still in the rabbit hole and you might have to pull me out, but no, that's all that's your question of. It's a no, very, very deeply flawed experience today. The, the thing I, th I like about what you brought up that is, is easy to overlook and easy to forget is the fact that, yes, this is hard on the person who's impacted. And again, we're talking about layoffs specifically, but really career transitions happen for a lot of reasons. Somebody's somebody gets sick and a person has to, you know, go home and, and quit their job or their job is too stressful and they need to move on and do so. I mean, there's a lot of reasons people make the decision to transition their careers. Layoffs happens to be one of them. But I think the point that you hit on is 
it's not just the individual that gets impacted in terms yeah. of the effect. And oftentimes, I mean, are there companies out there that don't care? I'm sure they exist. <laughs> I'm sure they exist. But as a whole, to your point, this isn't something I've been in meetings. I've been part of these conversations. It's not an easy decision for companies right. to make. It is not something that is often taken lightly or, or with complete disregard for this is really going to impact people. Is there anything we can do to avoid this? Or is there anything we can do that? And to your point, saying this is really hard, let's just not do it is not right. a viable option. We, we can't just do away with the fact that sometimes you need to restructure or downsize. I mean, things like that happen. So it's more about how do we create an environment where we can get you to the other side. We can see a brighter future on the other side. And I think that's what you're getting at when you say, hey, we're reimagining this is, we're not saying it goes away. We're not saying we reduce the amount of, of time and effort that goes into that or the, the emotional burden that may still exist, but we can reduce it by saying, there's a better path forward and you as a person can have a better path forward, but you as leaders or organizations can say, we can do better so we can feel we did right by the people who've served us as an organization. Right, and, and so I mean, there, there is that human element of it, of, of truly like, how do, we, how do we best support our people? And I, I don't wanna dismiss that as, as not important because I think it hugely is, yes. but like there, there are, to, to your point, like there is the business case for it too of the company, of like, I mean, research has been done in this area after kind of significant layoffs, exist remaining employees at the company uh, have a 36% drop in performance. There's a 31% increase in voluntary turnover. And so you, you think about like core business and, and kind of ROI metrics that you need to look at, like this is not something that's just impacting those people, even if you no. didn't care about that, which, which I think a lot of people and a lot of companies do. Um, that's, and that's a, it's a good point. It, actually, that's a very good clarification. And again, the point of it's not that that doesn't matter, but even just it matters tremendously. But then on top of it, I mean, I can think of multiple occasions where you literally see organizational performance just crater totally. after massive layoffs as, as everybody totally. just kind of deals with the fallout and to your point wonders you know am i next what's coming all of that stuff so addressing this has yeah. true performance for the existing workforce the people that are still around for sure and like the, the thing that i would add to that is that i think we're at an inflection point now um especially with COVID accelerating all these trends around transformation happening and so there's two pieces okay. one is layoffs with potential for layoffs are increasing because there's more types of workforce transformation decisions that are being made. But the second thing is there's increased transparency and public scrutiny over the negative impacts that they're having. You know, in the, in the age of Glassdoor, in the age of, of Business Insider headlines, there were so many during the pandemic of, you know, as, as the stockholders take home, you know, X percent and, you know, these type of bonuses, Here's oh, what they're doing to their employees. I mean, almost irreversible brand damage for some of these I mean, companies. You, you saw, I mean, hopefully, I don't want to call it too many companies here, but Airbnb, like massive, massive headlines of there was this, you know, super tight-knit culture at Airbnb, um, and then they laid off, you know, a good amount of employees over, over a Zoom call. And the, the, there's so many articles speaking about what was once such a tight-knit culture is now permanently damaged, right? Like, obviously, I'm sure they're doing a number of things, and... You know, I'm a fan of them as a company, and so I'm sure they're doing great now. But there's a certain part of that there that is 
you know, is, is irreversible of, of the types of damage that, that you can do to a culture. Yeah, well, and we got to see we got to see all different kinds of flavors of this play its way out over the last what, 12, 13 months or something like that, because it's it's accelerated at a level beyond what I think many people were even prepared for. So as you look at this, though, so let's talk a little bit more about, you know, what this actually looks like, because we say we're, we're fundamentally you're, you're fundamentally reimagining this. So how does it work? I mean, how are you actually we talk about personalization, we say, hey, we're, we're creating this personalized blueprint, which by the way, I would say most people would say, we ideally would like to do that. And, and that's not new. Ideally, I think a lot of people have wanted to do that, which is where traditional outplacement stuff got its start was to say, hey, how yeah. do we personalize and do things? The problem is, to do it at scale and cost effectively is very difficult, which is why I get so excited about technology is the fact technology is now unlocking possibilities that just weren't weren't possible before. So just from a workflow standpoint, what does it look like or how does it work? Yeah, and I, I have a lot of different reactions to uh, the, the thoughts you just shared because there, there's so many good nuggets in there. What, one is like on, on the technology front, obviously all organizations, especially uh, you know, HR departments are thinking about how can we leverage technology what I will say before I do dive into like the AI powered technology journey is that we feel so strongly that you can't strip the human element out of it entirely. Um, again, I'm, I'm avoiding saying specific company names, but there are uh, HCM systems out there that oftentimes we, we hear about, you know, from, from our kind of Fortune 100, Fortune 500 clients, we're implementing so-and-so HCM system. Um, and you know, it, one of the things it does is it makes it more efficient, but it takes a lot of the human element out it's of these interactions. It's automating it, and it's just dehumanizing it. Totally, and, and, and so again, because we deal with different levels of the organization, we talk to managers, we talk to you know, kind of middle skill workers, different levels of the organization, who then have to interact with those systems and hear how frustrating that is of like human experiences. And so if we are dealing with career transitions and layoffs, which we've already you know, had, a, had a good chunk and talked about how, uh, how much of a human process that needs to be, the first thing I'll say is that the first interaction individuals have with our platform before actually interacting with technology themselves is a human conversation. Um, and so we have, a, we have a set of success coaches that we work with um, that fundamentally just try to understand from that first interaction, how is this person doing? How are they? In what mental space so are they? Opening, you're opening with the human touch. Totally, you, and 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 we we feel very strongly that you have to if you are truly caring about the end result and the end outcome. Again, if it's a if it's a check the box exercise, if it's a let's just engage them in learning content, you know may, maybe you don't need that. But if you're truly saying we are trying to get someone from point A to point B, you have to see that human element. Um, and so that first interaction point is human. All that to say, I'll come back and answer your original no, question. Th yeah. Before you, I, I think it's a really important point to bring up. And I think that's a bit of a unique, again, kind of a unique position that you've taken on that. Because I, a lot of people assume because I'm so into tech that I, I, I you can. People can go, oh, tech, so you don't really care about the yeah. human element. And it's like, no, actually not the case at all. In fact, technology is best best used when it's augmented with totally. humans. Like it, it's, it's actually superior when you put the two together versus just do something purely automated. But I think it's unique the fact that, 
you know, you really focus on that out of the gate. And, and I use the term immersion taught me the term human in the loop. And I, that's yeah. really always stuck with me. It's like, there has to be a human in the loop at some component, but what you're talking about, especially in career transitions or layoffs, that, that first moment sets the tone for totally. everything. Like I've personally been through it and I've been on both sides of it. And I can tell you right now, when it feels like it's transactional, it is very hard to come back from. It is very right. hard to come back from when it just feels like, well, this is just something that I have to go through and you're just kind of going through the motions. Right, and, and I mean, when you're looking at the broader goals of the companies we're working with, what their motivations are, I mean, Part, part of it is, right, the, the brand perception and the kind of how do you feel about the company and how supported do you feel? And so it's, it's solving for the end outcome, but it's also solving for what you just said, which is, do I feel supported and do I, how do I feel about this employer that is letting me go? Um, and if it does feel like something that is truly, truly personalized, truly human, supported with, with AI over the top, um, those are the types of experiences that do make people really say, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but they're really helping me and making sure that I'm supported and, and I really have a soft landing into my next role. Okay. Okay. Got it. So opening with the human touch, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, well, I mean, again, it's all the automation, all the AI in the world. We, we can't lose sight of that because if we do, and, and again, are there certain things that go ahead? We, we can kind of automate and strip that out. Sure. Right. But when we're talking about something like this and talking about something so personal. Yeah. It's, it's dangerous territory to lose sight of that. Totally. And, and so now to get back to your original question that I've, yeah. I've gotten 15 different directions on uh, the user journey though, from the platform perspective is, is really three uh, different stages. The first stage is about understanding where their starting point is. And so parsing the resume or, or having them go through a series of assessments that really allows us to identify what are the skills that they have? What are their current interests? Kind of what, what is their starting point that we're trying to support them from? The second piece is, is then based on that information, what are the possible career paths that they might be in the best position to pursue, given those skills that they already have, given the interests that they have, given the company they're with, the location that they're with, what are the possible career paths that they could uh, pursue in the labor market and giving them some ability to, to navigate those different options of, hey, if you wanna optimize for skills you have now, if you want to optimize for salary, if you want to optimize for kind of lowest automation risk, similar to what you're doing, different to what you're doing, really giving them flexibility, okay. giving them a set of different recommendations. And then the third piece is from there, now that we understand, here's where you're starting from, here's where you might want to go, giving them a very, very detailed and granular sense of what would be that personalized roadmap of specific learning programs, specific reskilling programs, other types of resources that we were talking about of career readiness or health and wellness, financial planning, that would you know, best get them from point A to point B alongside that human guidance and human coaching, uh, which is you know, you know, th throughout that user journey as well. What's, so there's two things that what you said, I wanna unpack a little bit. And one of them that just jumped out is, you, you, you talked about the fact that you know, as part of this career transition, this is where, again, I think sometimes it's easy to get so caught up on, okay, what skills do you have? What, what value is there yep. in using those skills moving forward? But one of the things you said that really resonated is the fact that what are your concerns about your next job? It could, because totally. you mentioned the fact that 
which ones are lower risk for automation, things like right. that, that, that totally. has like an emotional, because when people are going through a career transition, there are going to be components of this where they may say, even I would rather invest more in upskilling and take the yep. time to do that. If I know I don't have to worry about going through this again in nine months, I yeah. don't want to go through this again. And right. I will take the time. I will be, I will be out of work longer to do the work because that's more important to me. And I think sometimes it's easy to get so focused on this. Well, here's where you are now. Here's where we think you can be. And let's just you know move you from box A to box B. Yeah, no, I mean, again, I, I feel like I have so many different reflections to each of these comments you're sharing because, because so, so much, all, all of it's so true. Um, I think the reality is, is that, um, you know, in certain exercises that I think we see in the workforce sometimes, it almost seems like people are widgets Right. Of, yes. If you were this, you should be that. What is the skills adjacency? All, all these things are important to measure skills adjacencies, but, but that cannot be the only kind of measure of, of how you do matches, how you make the recommendations of career paths. And so our algorithms in making that kind of career path recommendation take into account uh, feasibility of it from a skill set perspective, take into account what types of learning programs exist to probably possibly bridge those skills, but they also take into account desirability, given those interests. They take into account sustainability of given where I am, my local labor market or my company, what is this role's trajectory? What is this role's demand? So if I'm going to make this investment, sustainability, is this something that's going to be worth the time and effort because totally. my skill set's here versus here? For sure. And, and then the, the last piece that's super important is, is really using our unique data set that you know, we had up front, but really building over time of what types of successful transitions has the future fit AI platform seen and how can we use those on a continuous basis to better inform for what type of individual who might have been what type of circumstances would be best positioned to a certain career path with certain sets of supports, right? And so it is almost triangulating the different pieces there from a data perspective. And so that's something that we're getting more and more as we support individuals, but also speaks to the underlying data set that we really started with, which was analyzing 350 million different successful career transitions in the labor market, such that we're able to say for any given individual, what are the types of transitions that they might be able to make that, that could be most successful given those previous data points that we've seen before. Okay. Well, and, and, and this is where, this isn't a simple thing. And this is why, to me, this is why artificial intelligence is so impactful in improving this because to try and do this through human means of trying to figure all this out, there's just, it's changing too fast. There's too much out there to try and do. So AI allows you to catch up with it, which is where I can see the value of that. But what I, what I liked about the fact, and regardless of how you're approaching this topic, I think anybody should really be thinking about is the fact that these are varying facets of data and things totally. and things you have to consider when you're thinking about this because it's not just well you've done this for your career so the next role for you looks like this because there's a lot of factors that play into that some people are fed up with just even being in the function they're in they don't really want to keep doing it anymore and they're willing to take the hit or take a step back or take more time doing these things to find something that's better paired for what they want to do. Yeah, no. And I mean, I think that, you know, we talked about why companies, why some of our partners are attracted to this concept of reimagining layoffs or reimagining career transitions in general, you know, because supporting the individuals, even the individual uh, kind of impact of, of one placement, two placements, five placements, 10 placements 
is a net positive, but the other piece of it is that you start to speak about is the data and learnings that you start to have from those transitions of, you know, as again, working with, a lot of times we're working with 50,000, 100,000 plus kind of employee-based companies. And as you look at the tremendous restructuring that has to happen on a global level between business units, between divisions, of always having to think about how do we restructure, how do we fit different people in different places throughout the organization? If you start to build up that data set around what, right, like what, what types of workers could make I certain transitions effectively, it's, it's just so, so, so impactful. And I'll tell you, like one of the pitfalls that we see um, companies make sometimes is they'll, they'll spend, you know, million dollars, 12 months, almost just analyzing it from a strategic workforce planning perspective of okay. hypothetically what, what transitions are possible. Right. And so they, you know, they do a, you know, month, a year long exercise and say, okay, after a year long exercise, we've determined that, you know, financial analysts or accountants can become, you know, financial data scientists or what, whatever skills adjacency that they map. Right. And, but do and we know they, if it worked? <laughs> if it they, really would work. And then in practicality, they realize that it doesn't work because every individual path is different. And so like our urge to companies and our partners a lot of times is what can you, yes, do the strategic workforce planning. We're not saying don't do that. It's a valuable exercise. Correct. But how can you start learning and start supporting transitions in a way that you start getting those data points about not just in general of, of the data we have, but for this individual company, what are those types of people from what types of backgrounds, what types of skill sets that are being able to make certain transitions with certain supports and learning? So it's connecting all of those different data points and really equipping them to, to support more people over time. You know, this is <laughs> we're going to be doing this for, for another 20 minutes because I, I think there's a lot of this stuff that it's easy to overlook. And, yeah. and, and practically speaking, being on the inside, having been on, you know, the, the practitioner side of this, so often it's easy when you're going through these massive transitions, when you're going through this, to get so focused on this transit, like we need to get through this, we're trying to work our way through this set of layoffs, we're trying to go through this restructuring because we need to do it. And you're just, again, getting caught in what's in front of your nose of, okay, just what do we need to do to figure this piece out? And not thinking about the fact that, guess what? This isn't the last time this is gonna happen. For sure. And this isn't the only time you're going to need people to transition into different roles. And to your right. point, this is an almost giant forced experiment on your organization where you're saying, I mean, this has yeah. to, you look at COVID, there, 2020 was a year where a lot of organizations just were trying to get to the other side of, well, our workforce totally. is remote. We're, we're getting through this, not thinking about the fact that guess what? In 2021 and beyond, a large portion of the workforce is never coming back. And there probably is a lot of lessons yeah. and a lot of data we could have learned from 2020 right. that probably just got scrapped because that wasn't in people's heads. They weren't thinking about, hey, we're actually learning a lot right now from this transition that we could apply moving forward. And the same is true of these massive transitions. To your point, if you're using something like this that's actually capturing that data, keeping tabs on these people, how you know who was successful in what kinds of things, that's now feeding your future strategy to prepare you to get ahead of it instead of reacting when it hits. 
For sure. And I, and I think that as that learning happens, one of the other evolutions that we've seen is that, you know, perhaps our partners sometimes start just, just with the external transitions of just thinking through, okay, how do we reimagine layoffs? These people are going to have to be let go. Um, but how do we really, you know, do it in a supportive way, personalized way, data-driven way, all that. Um, but then when they, the questions they start to answer are, how can we take some of these employees, maybe, maybe not, it's poss not possible for all of them, but take a certain percentage of them and actually redeploy them internally. Because again, a lot of these 50,000, 100,000 plus employee-based companies have, you know, so many business units that are growing, you know, cybersecurity, data science, different types of skill sets, types of roles. And so looking at, is there a percentage of them or, or can we get exposure to all of them to look at what internal pathways are possible? What types of supports and rescaling programs would we have to invest in to be able to do that? Um, and when you open up that bucket, I mean, kind of the impact from a talent acquisition cost perspective, uh, you know, is just is just well, even as well. Brand, so, even brand is, is huge. Totally. So let's just say I may have been familiar with an organization that had, again, because large organizations yeah. typically have different business units. They right. have different business units. And when you see these mass massive disruptions, one may get crushed and another one may explode in growth. And unfortunately, a lot of times when that happens, out all the talent yeah. goes out, right. the one that's going down, and this other one's over here trying to mass hire and figure out where do we find people? We can't find people fast enough. And it's just a miss because now you spent all this money exiting all these people. You damaged your brand. You, right. you, you, know, you had all these people who believed in the company. Now you're trying to hire people, spending all this money, bringing people in from the outside who don't have the intellectual capital that right. they had and all this. I mean, it's, it's, you're talking serious financial and brand damage that can happen. Yeah, no, it's, it's huge. And so, I mean, ju just starting to, to think through that post process of what are those internal pathways could exist is, is massive. I think how we think about it sometimes is it's not to say that, you know, all, all individuals, um, you know, need to be redeployed, but no. thinking about what, what the different levers are, right? Because like in this strategic workforce planning exercise, a lot of L&D HR leaders are thinking about what does the current workforce look like, right? What are, what are my current skills that I have in the workforce? What does the future workforce look like given the strategic plan of the company? What does that have to look like in three years or five years? And then what are those different levers that I have at my disposal to bridge that delta between current state and future state? And I mean, traditionally it's been hiring, right? Hiring new talent is one of them, bringing in new skills. There's another one of how do we retain and kind of grow the existing talent within their current career path. Yep, where they are but right the, now. Right, but, but then there's this third piece of, of transitions of how do we switch people around that a lot of times just isn't explored as much. And so if you can start playing around with, okay, we still will have to hire some of these skills, but which ones can we look at transitioning internally? It, it just gives them such a better toolkit um, and less expensive toolkit uh, to be able to really make sure they're able to bridge that delta effectively. And what, what's interesting about your point on this is that, to be fair, I think it's it hasn't always been explored as deeply as it could, for for some good reasons. Honestly, I was I had a conversation with the degree team a couple of weeks ago, I think, and we were talking about there was an interesting thing in the data they found as they were doing these surveys of these massive organizations. There is a lack of understanding where this data sits and who has it or if it even does exist and i think that largely contributes to this because while we can say well what if we redeployed talent what if we move talent here and there 
I think a lot of times people are left feeling like, yeah, but I don't really know. <laughs> I don't really know what we have. Yeah. Where, what's really important if we could, this is, this feels really hard. And I think that's where technologies like what you're talking about, what you're doing actually is helping answer that question because instead of it just being a exercise of, I don't know, let's try it. Let's just move some people over here and hope it works and see what happens. It's well, no, we're taking a strategic data-driven approach to this. We're saying, right. here's what we know on the workforce. Here's how we can move them. And it's based on data because we've seen these transitions work in our company or in other companies. Right, totally. And, and, and I mean, I think the point you raise is a good one that there is, there is a spectrum of where companies are in their journey of understanding skills, understanding competencies, understanding you know, internal pathways, all that. There, there is a spectrum for sure. I think what we have done is try to make the barriers to entry low and then create a platform that from a data perspective has a low floor but a high ceiling. And so even if, if, if you as a company are in those very early stages of saying, how do we map these competencies? How do we you know, make more consistent skills taxonomies throughout the organization? There is still tremendous value in the platform and ability to you know, call upon the algorithm of, that's looked at 350 million different career transitions. And so still tremendous data-driven, as you're saying. But if you are an organization that has done even deeper work, that can be incorporated as well and just making the algorithms and the recommendations even stronger. And so it, it really is about seeing that there's a spectrum of where companies are and being able to really support uh, each of them along that journey. It, it brings up, a, I, I wrote a post about this, I think it was this week or maybe it was last week, where what you're talking about in terms of this data set, because it gets to a good point, because sometimes there's this analysis paralysis that kicks in. Totally. Where organizations hear a conversation like this and go, oh, that sounds really good. I'd, yeah. I'd love to be part. You just don't know where we are. We're just, we're not there. We, we got to clean up our HR database. And, I've, uh, I've, I've heard that exact, exact statement uh, a dozen times. <laughs> uh, really? Because I thought, I, so, right? <laughs> and I mean, that's the thing is I understand and I can relate because I've, right. been, I've been in that seat where you go, oh, that sounds really good, but I just feel like we can't do it. And I think this is where, and the reason, the thing you hit on that's really important is, I've been trying to advocate more that it's, and this was the post I said, don't necessarily get too razzle dazzled by the, the front door or the shiny look of a platform because some yeah. of these other factors are critically important to this, to your point of what you're talking about. You, you've studied 350 million career transitions. Right. There may be other players you're exploring who say, hey, look how cool in our in our platform, you know, looks slick and people have this really nice user experience. But they may not have the data, which if you've got all the data in the world, yeah, great. If, if your data is perfect and fine and you know that that's one thing. But if you are an organization that's saying ours is not great or we may not we may not know some of this stuff, don't wait to try and clean up all your own stuff and try and because the reality is you won't, you're not going to get there ever in the history of ever. And this is where that data and learnings that you've already figured out can tremendously support an organization that may be going, we'd love to, but we're, we're kind of a hot mess. Is that okay? Yes, yes, exactly. The, um, and because if you think about that 350 million data set, I mean, it's, it's broad in, in like what it reaches. And so, for example, there was a conversation uh, the other day that our team was having 
um, with a potential client where some of the transitions were going to happen in Nigeria. And he said, okay, we understand you're you know, North America based, but we're in Nigeria here. And we said, actually, we looked at the data of the 350 million, 8 million of them are in Nigeria. And so the granularity of data that we have in specific places. And so for any individual company, especially for a North American based company, fortune 500 company, we already have hundreds of thousands at the very least types of transitions that are related to your company of, of where people have transitioned inside or outside of your company. So we already have some of the data that we can start to help you. And so it is a really good starting point. Um, the last thing I'll say on this point is just, I think from a, like, how do you get started? And then how do you evolve over time perspective? It really does go back to that external internal transitions. We have had partners who have come to us and said, you know, what, what we really care about, what we really want to do is internal mobility and internal pathways and how do we create that? But the challenge that we're feeling is we know that's going to require integrations with the LXP and the HCM and the ATS and the all, all the different HR tech stack, right? And it's been really interesting to start some of those uh, clients on the external front because, because it isn't external. It it's doesn't require the integration. It's an entry point. I mean, it's like during the pandemic, we went to market with some companies in two weeks, right? And so you, you start to learn together about how to best fit this in and then gradually, you know, scale it out to more divisions, scale it out uh, more internally. Um, so it's all about that question of how do you start small um, and continue to kind of expand there as you, as you learn from the data on the ground. What's really great about that is early, early we talked about how, you know, we were, we were talking about layoffs in this whole piece. And one of the things I said before we went live is the fact that there may be a fair amount of learning and development leaders who, who maybe haven't bridged that horizontal in, in HR and said, you know, I've, I've been on that side of the house. And they may be unaware that this is actually a whole engine in many companies that's, that's running itself and handling layoffs and restructures and, and what, how are we redeploying talent or what are we doing with this kind of stuff? And I think that's an important point to make because it can feel if you're trying to do this talent mobility, skill mobility, right. it can feel like good grief. We just, we just set up our ecosystem or we're yeah. trying to do this. <laughs> now we got to tie in this. And right now I just don't know that we can do this, but that's where to your point of, it's, it's likely, I'm not going to say it's just a piece of cake, but it's likely a much easier lift to say, Hey, this is a good target place to start because chances are it's not as mature. It's not something people have really put a lot of attention on in probably since the nineties, you know, nobody's really probably done much with it. So for us to say, what if we just change this to this? Yep you can now create this in an environment, like you said, I mean, I don't want to set expectations for people that you can do things in two weeks all the time, but it's something you can stand up much quicker without saying, well, now we have to rebuild our entire ecosystem, try right. to get the data sets together. We have to decide and evaluate which platforms we have. And is there overlap all this kind of stuff? Uh, absolutely. And, and I think another element that you slightly alluded to, but just to name it is the budget piece. Of yes. vast majority of there, so we can talk yeah. about that. Because <laughs> that's there. the other thing. People might be being like, "This sounds really great." Yeah, I don't have any budget. I don't have any budget to consider something like this. So go ahead. Right, and 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 on the external front, the the partners that we're working with to reimagine layoffs. I mean, the vast vast majority of Fortune 500s that are the customers that we work with, um, you know, have existing outplacement budgets. They've had outplacement budgets, you know, by employee band that have been there for. 
20, 30, 40 years. And it's the same, you know, again, won't, won't mention them, but the same kind of staffing firms that right. uh, are supporting those individuals. 30, they haven't touched it in 30 years. And, and many of the people that we talked to, as we're talking to them for the first time, said, you know what? I've always been slightly dissatisfied with the outplacement support, but I never knew that there was another option, that there was another option out there. And so even though it is kind of one size fits all resume review and a coaching call, that's, that's what exists on the market. And so what we're supporting individuals and you know, companies in doing is saying, take the existing budget structure you already have and just bring it over here and start to see the tremendous impact on individual, but also impact on kind of remaining employee base and company. And so now we're not, and, and that just goes back to the fact of now we're not talking net new. You're not going out trying to do and try and seek out tin cup new funding. You're saying, hey, we're already spending this money on this that maybe it's fine, maybe it's okay, maybe we're you know semi-satisfied with what we're doing, but it's not blowing our mind with this. And now this goes back to the whole point of why we need to start thinking across just our silo is the fact that this may be something that you say, hey, we can start this here, but this has massive impact yeah. and massive potential for what we're already trying to do with all these other things. And I think what you've described so far can also add to the fact that it's not necessarily in conflict with your internal activities that you're doing. Might it supplement or augment or in some ways do things a little bit differently? Maybe. But that's the maturity that we're talking about where you say, well, maybe that's not where you start with the full integration of the whole internal HR ecosystem, but we start over here and then we find where there are opportunities to supplement and change. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the, the amount of our customers who we've started with one particular use case and then we're now back at the table talking about actually, can we try this here or can we try this here? I mean, it's, it's not 100%, but it's, it's, uh, it's closer to that than zero. Uh, I mean, it's just so often it happens that we start to see, especially as it's on the ground, all the different potential use cases internally um, for transitions that are happening. Um, and then the last point I'll make is, is just on the layoff side specifically of, of just companies wanting to start but not knowing know how. I'll, I'll share another anecdote of something we've seen is that we've had companies who have started and said, well, you know, we're, we're already in a contract with our existing outplacement provider, but we'd like to try this. Can we do it alongside and truly compare uh, the options or even give employees the choice of which type of package that they want for the same budget? Um, and I mean, the results speak for themselves of now that they see their employees choosing, but also the results and the differences from an outcomes perspective of quality and time of career transitions um, is, is pretty remarkable. Well, Plus the data piece. I mean, I just cannot overstate the fact that the data piece, a lot of these traditional methods, you really didn't get much data at all on any sort of outcomes. You know, I mean, maybe you got some outcomes like so-and-so ended up landing or what, but in terms of were they successful? How, what was their experience? Like, what did they go through? All, what did it take to get them there? What kind of investments? That was honestly a black hole, which- totally now more than ever, this is something that can feed massive business strategy. I mean, serious business strategy behind this stuff. So I think that's where sometimes we throw the word data around, data gets thrown, yeah, it'd be great, we'll get more data. And I don't always know that people are fully connecting the dots between, but do you realize what that data can tell you and how that can inform totally. your strategy and what that can do to your bottom line and 
the benefit of your workforce. It's a, it's a yes. And you get to support your workforce and improve the business. You don't have to pick one or the other. Yeah, no, I mean, you, you mentioned it earlier in the conversation, but obviously there's a lot of buzzwords in, in this space, uh, especially around data and AI. And I think what, what we always push our partners to, to ask or consider is what types of questions can that data, can that AI actually help you answer? And I think when, when we drill down you know, into our different pri partners' priorities and what some of those questions are that they're thinking about of how do we make sure, you know, questions about diversity and equity and, and how you make sure that different teams uh, are, are representing a diverse workforce and that you have a diverse workforce that's being promoted in, in the right ways and in equitable ways. Those are types of questions where we can look at not only what types of transitions have happened, but again, for certain profiles, certain demographics of individuals and saying, what types of support does someone need to get from point A to point B? Because for different profiles of individual, that answer may be different. And so those types of questions that are on so many L&D HR leaders' minds right now are the types of questions that you can start to answer with this type of data, with this type of AI. Well, and I think to, to that point, so often it's been, I think there's a lot of people out there who are, they're wanting to do things different, but it's, they, they just aren't really sure where to act or how to act or what to do. And, and that's going back to this data point of, well, what things are you trying to do and what data do you need to do to get you to a point of comfort totally. where you go, okay, I know how to take action on do something effective versus I'm just going to kind of blanket something out there and, and hope it works so that I can at least feel like I, I did my part. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's all about how to set up like a continuous feedback loop, continuous data loop of what, what data can we capture, but then making sure that that data captured is being uh, kind of pushed out into how can we then do it better and better over time, which obviously is inherent to our platform. Okay. Well, I have a ton of other questions that I would dig into, but as I promised you, we would run out of time before we got into it. But I think we hit on a lot of really important things that, you know, anybody thinking about this, which <laughs> if you're not, <laughs> you should be, let's just put it that way. If you're not thinking through these, you know, how are we supporting people through training? Because this ties to all the buzzwords that are going right now, <laughs> upskilling, reskilling, yeah. career development, talent mobility, you name it. it. It's included in what we're talking about. We just avoided, well, cut it through, cut through the fluff of some of this. What does that actually mean? What does that look like? Right. And how can we take action against this to actually make a meaningful difference? So this has been awesome, Taylor. I enjoyed the time. Uh, I get really excited about this. So hopefully the energy came through. Hopefully everybody watching, it, it got you thinking a little bit differently about some of the possibilities, because again, I think sometimes, especially in our space, it can be so easy to be thinking just on, on some of the things that we historically have focused on. And this was, this was shining the light in a different area that, that may not always be getting the light that it should. Cause like we said, some companies may not have even considered or looked at this in the last 20 to 40 years. And just have, it's just kind of something they did. And now this is saying, but you don't have to anymore. So thank you for the time, Taylor. This has been a blast. Thanks so much, Christopher.